Do you manage a sports team for a school or athletic organization? And do you need help finding qualified vetted coaches? I'd like to tell you all about my sponsorship called Coach Corner. Check it out at www.coachcorner.io, your hub for premier coaching talent. Also, are you an athletic coach of any level looking for your next coaching job in your area? Check out www.coachcorner.io, your hub for premier coaching talent. Coach Corner is a network of coaches and teams growing rapidly across the U.S., and their only goal is to help teams find coaches and coaches find teams. And now, when you sign up to partner with Coach Corner as a coach or athletic organization, if you enter referral code DOME, D-O-M-E, all caps, you will be entered into a rolling raffle for free Coach Corner swag and cash prizes. That's referral code DOME at www.coachcorner.io, your hub for premier coaching talent. Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Dome podcast. Um, I hope you are all having a great day and night for those whenever you turn listening into this. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Brain Fuel and um, Coach Corner. I'd like to make a shout out to my sponsors uh, for this pod. Wow. <laughs> this Western Conference playoffs and this whole NBA playoffs, I, I just got to say this straight up. Because like every year when you were growing up, it's always Lakers Celtics, my era, where it was Kobe and Powell and Derek Fisher versus uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen. And then you go to the 10 straight finals LeBron James has made with any of his teams with the Miami Heat or and you usually get the Cavs Warriors in the in the finals. And nowadays it's all parody, right? I mean, after like the Warriors made the finals, then it was like Lakers Heat. Then then we got more parody with Bucks and Suns, which no one expected that. And no one thought the Warriors and the Celtics would be in the finals last year. And this year, there's no clear-cut world beater. Yes, you have great, you have a great teams in the East. I mean, what the Bucs have done this year, best record in the league. Giannis having another MVP caliber season. Uh, the Sixers with Joel Embiid, who finally deserves that MVP. They could be a force, as well as Boston, the reigning Eastern Conference champions. Um, but I look at the rest of the Eastern Conference. I think that it's really anyone's game. I mean, Bucks could win it. Celtics win it. Sixers can win it. I don't think there's a clear – I think the other teams, the four, five, and six, are all teams that are on the rise but just aren't there yet. Like the Cavs, I think, are just a year or two away. The Knicks, I think, have made a big leap with Jalen Brunson. Um, and Julius Randle has had an incredible season. Definitely re- redeemed himself after a subpar last year. Uh, the Nets, after all the drama they had with Kyrie and Kevin Durant and the trades, they held their own and they avoided the play-in by one game over the Miami Heat, who, um, who've who been a major disappointment, definitely a step down. And that play-in is going to be – I mean, look, if you get the 17 play the Celtics, that's pretty much one thing. I mean – because like uh, because they're not like world be- they're not you're not going to get swept by them. I think you can maybe win a game off of them, but 
it's one thing. It's another difference if you are the AC and have to play the Bucks and Giannis, Adetokounmpo, Middleton, Holiday. They've won a chip before, and if you're young, young, inexperienced, like in that end, like say the Raptors, the Bulls, you get crushed in the playoffs in that format. And the East, really, it's really those three teams that I could see winning. But there's no clear-cut favorite, which is what I love about this whole playoffs, which we're going to talk about the West in a second. And there's a lot of parity. Like, you could see anyone in this Western Conference, anyone that's in the top seven, right? In the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Suns, Clippers, Warriors, and my Los Angeles Lakers, literally any of them could win, could win the West. To what, the, what I love about this game, the NBA now, there's no clear in years past, you get one team from the East, one team from the West, and you know that these two teams are going to meet up, Cavs, Warriors, or you know that the Miami Heat are always going to represent the Eastern Conference with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosch. Now it's different, which has now made things very interesting for this season. And that's what I love. And and but we're going to talk about the CBA, which could affect a league problem a little bit later in the show. But as of right now, I mean, look, this playoffs and the and the amount of parity between the teams, like and the injuries that each team has, and there's parity everywhere. There's it's the West is wide open, which is what I love about this league, and. I was looking at these matchups like in the West. Like, I don't think anybody fears the Denver Nuggets. I don't think anybody, the Grizzlies have been probably, have probably overall have had the most well rounded team before the Kevin Durant trade, obviously, to Phoenix, but they're, they've had some problems themselves, obviously, with the whole John Moran incident which has kind of put a bugaboo on them in that end. But the still 51 and 31 is impressive. The Kings have been like the story of the NBA this year. The highest offensive efficiency rating in NBA history this past season. And, but there's concern though, right? Because they're a young inexperienced team and they don't have a lot of playoff experience and they are not that great of a defensive team, but I got, they've been a great all year. They're a fun story to watch. Mike Brown will give him his flowers, coach of the year. Uh, the the Suns clip the Suns. To be honest with you, I think they could be the favorite out of the Western Conference if they're healthy and in the right frame of mind. I mean, Kevin Durant. Here's a, a great fact about Kevin Durant. He's like nineteen and one in all the games that he's played for each of his teams, going back to Brooklyn and Phoenix. Like that's you want to talk about a difference maker. He is a difference maker for whatever team he's on. Now we could debate about the the type of pass he chose, which were pretty much easy pass if you want to call it that. But I got to give Kevin to this. He did a great job with Phoenix when the time when in all the games he's played. They're eight zero in all the games Kevin Durant has played, and he could fit anywhere. The Clippers, I. It, it hurts them that Paul George is out right now with the MCL sprain. I think he's going to be reevaluated this week and that hurts them at least for this round. If they were playing Sacramento in round one, I give them a very good chance without Paul George, but 
against a team like Phoenix with uh, the most lethal score in the game at Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, who's just a walking bucket who could get you 25 a game in a sleep. And you have DeAndre Ayton, who not always the biggest fan of him, but he he's still a factor, right? He still can get rebounds. He's still he's he's still a force in the paint. And you still have the Hall of Famer Chris Paul. He's not what he used to be, but they don't but they don't need him to be the old Chris Paul. They just need him to just put food on the table, be and be the and be the the table setter. That's really what they all need for Chris Paul. And imagine Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, that pick and roll in the playoffs. That is just something. But getting back to the Clippers, that is a major blow with no Paul George. And Russell Westbrook, look, we can have say, oh, it was the Lakers this. I mean, look, I give Russell this. He was in he, – he had – shooting around him the lakers what we had for him we didn't have necessarily the best shooters and we had to rely on russ to improve his three-point percentage and it wasn't and give russell this he's fit well in the clipper system and the lakers and we're going to talk i'm going to talk a lot about my lakers in just a few minutes but it worked out for both thing teams right clippers were able to figure it out at the end with the, with russell westbrook and the lakers made that trade to save their season and are at least in a position to do something. And Golden State, this is the biggest wild card in this whole thing. Um, they've been they've been the weirdest defending champion I can remember in a very long time. They've had a long road themselves. If you really look at want to analyze their season with the whole Draymond and Jordan Poole incident that was caught on camera, which by the way, I just want to say this, whoever leaked that video out is a fucking snitch, right? Why would you leak something out like that? Why? Because you want clout because you want money or something like that. I'm not even a Warriors fan, but if I was a fan of that team, I'd be fucking pissed too. I think anybody and just to remove the phantom, just the human aspect of it would be like, what? Really? I mean, Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr in practice. And no one knew about that story until the last dance came out, right? Why would you do that? Why would that be public? And they've had a long road to climb. I mean, they've had the best home record in the league at 33 and 8 but the worst road like road road record one of the worst road records in the league at 11 and 30 the only teams worse on the road this past season were the the only teams that were worse record wise on the road this year were the Detroit Pistons then the San Antonio Spurs and the Houston Rockets. Those were the only three teams that had worse road records than the Golden State Warriors did, which is pretty sad. And But I give them this. They were able to at least get themselves into this position with Andrew Wiggins coming back, and I give them a shot, just like I give all the other six, the six other teams in the West 
which we're going to lead into the my Los Angeles Lakers. I feel like I'm obligated to talk about them because I talk about them the most. I'm a fan of them and I tweet about them. And I got to say this, this has been one fucking crazy season and LeBron said it best. There has been so many seasons crammed into one. Like they've tried all, they tried for six months to get rid of Russell Westbrook, six months. And even during last season, they were they tried covertly to get rid of him, and and then they failed to do that before trading camp, and they had an incomplete roster, another year of an incomplete roster to start the season, not enough shooting, not enough wing depth, and they started off two and ten, and they then they kept climbing and climbing out of like multiple games under five hundred. And then LeBron, after his like 38th birthday, he made it a, an objective of his to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he was able to do so. And that felt like a season in itself because he was going full force throttle. He all gas, and there were zero breaks for him to break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was going on a massive scoring spree. And that night against Oklahoma City, was kind of an indicative of the whole Lakers season so far. LeBron was still playing at an incredible level, still one of the still a force to be reckoned with, still was an, an elite scorer and was having individually another stellar season. But Anthony Davis missed some time and the team itself wasn't winning enough games. LeBron would play great. This was indicative of their first half. LeBron played an exceptional level. But the team surrounding him was he was not able to elevate his teammates on that end. And they were at the time, I believe they were seven games. Yes, yeah, seven games under 500. And they were the 13th seed in the Western Conference before Danny Ainge out of nowhere said, Hey, we'll take Russell Westbrook off your hands for one top five protected first round draft pick. And that was what was able to happen right? They were able to get rid of Russell Westbrook when they, and it was a trade just that they sent him to Utah and they got Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley on in that end. And they made another trade to get D'Angelo Russell from the Minnesota Timberwolves. They were able to get D'Angelo Russell and Jared Vanderbilt from the Minnesota Timberwolves. And they were able to trade for Malik Beasley with the Utah Jazz. And that was what saved their season. And then LeBron got hurt. He went out after they made that 27-point comeback, and it didn't matter. They And I looked at the stats and why they were able to turn this whole thing around. The Los Angeles Lakers since had the best record in the West since the All-Star break, and that's despite LeBron James playing only 11 games. The final tally since their deadline acquisitions debuted it, 18 and 8. They had a plus 138 point differential. They were a plus 44 clutch point differential, which is ranked second. Whatever you thought about this team, yes, you could say now they've been good because of the schedule. I give you that. There were some games on their schedule which were kind of gimmies, 
but you still have to win the games that are in front of you. You still have to play at this extreme level. You still have to be a top. You still have to do your job. You have to eat what's in front of you. And they were able to do so. And post deadline, 18 and eight. And now they were only the third team in NBA history, along with that started two and 10 since the 2004-2005 season, along with uh, the Chicago Bulls and the, at the time, the New Jersey Nets, to start two and 10 and to finish the season with at least an above 500 record. And this was a great turnaround. But should I be celebrating about this? Because no, I shouldn't be as a Laker fan. This is what's come down to. We're celebrating making the play-in after starting 2-10. and 10. They shouldn't have been in this position to begin with. But they're here. And in this Western Conference, anything's open now with this trade. If they had Russell Westbrook and Pat Bev still on this roster, they would be home by now. Now, with this team, they have a legit chance. And I, I got to give Rob Plink a lot of credit for making this deal and pulling it off. And when I look at these Western Conference matchups, like that they match up with, it, say they go up again when they place Minnesota in the first in the playing game, that's going to be a game they should handle. And I think they can have a chance against anybody. I think Phoenix maybe could have their number, but that's really the only team I really fear in this Western Conference if I were the Lakers. Um, but they were able to pull this off. And we'll we'll talk about uh, the play in matchups, but I want to talk about uh, each of the of the first matchups in the West before I get into the play in, and I'm going to talk about the East matchups, and then I'll get into the playing games as well. I'm not going to make my official picks. I'm going to do it with my guest of mine, which is going to be, I believe, tomorrow night. And we're going to make the official picks then. But I want to talk about these matchups first, which are key. Uh, the Kings-Warriors matchup, the 3-6 matchup. The Kings obviously start off at home. Um, they, The first time they've won the Pacific Division since, I believe, 2004, 2000, 2003, 2004 season, which is insane. Um, and they going up against the defending champs. Now, I feel like everyone's sliding on the Sacramento Kings <laughs> because of their inexperience and because they were not too great of a defensive team to begin with. And they've allowed they've allowed 118 points per game, which is not really something to be hanging their head on. They're not really that great of a defensive team. They're all, but they make up for it on the offensive end. Right, they're averaging almost 117 a game. They're averaging 100, nearly 121 points per game. Highest offensive efficiency rating ever. De'Aaron Fox has been is a star, in my opinion. He's an absolute star. And Demontis Sabonis is a triple double machine, double double machine. And I think that match between him and Kevon Looney is going to be very big down low. Now the key is. In this whole thing, I think Golden State has a clear cut edge because of the experience factor. They're a much better defensive team. They're a 
little bit better. They're a better shooting team. Obviously, they have the greatest shooter of all time and a top five shooter of all time, right? Steph and Clay. They have Draymond, who people can criticize him for all the shitty talks, but he makes up for it. He does the little things, right? He's a rebounder. He's still one of the best defenders in the league, and he's a very good passer. He does other things to impacts that's not scoring related. And they have Dante DiVincenzo off the bench, Jordan Poole, who would be a starter on every other team. And this is their sixth man, and he's been phenomenal for them uh, this past season. Uh, so, and even though he started off shaky at the beginning, he's made up for it for sure. Uh, this is going to be Warriors heavy. The X factor here is going to be Andrew Wiggins if they can make a legit title run because he's missed 21 games because of that personal matter with due to his father. Um, I, I wish the best for him. Uh, they have not been great on the road, even with Andrew Wiggins this past year. And I they say, oh, it's playoff time. Um, they can easily make a run. I think it's going to be – it's a stretch to say I'm not going to be the people on the bandwagon that says they're they're going to win a championship immediately because they have Wiggins. I mean, he didn't even play like in the games when he like came back to join the team. He still has to ramp up into game shape and it's going to be an adjustment for sure. Playing with Wiggins as opposed to that as they were getting used to playing without Andrew Wiggins. Uh, and that game is going to be very, uh, that series is going to be very indicative or, how much of an impact Wiggins will be. I think they're still fine in that series, even if Wiggins isn't like full there yet, physicality wise, but it's going to get harder every round, assuming they go, they pass that series and have to face either Memphis or the Lakers, two very physical big teams that can give them some problems. But I think the Warriors have size advantage with Looney. Um, and I, they have Draymond. They have the experience. The Warriors should handle. I'm not going to make my official picks yet, but the Warriors should be the favorite in this series easily. They'll, they'll win. I could see them winning in five, maybe at best case six, but I think the Warriors will be fine in that series. Now, this series, <laughs> the Suns Clippers series, this series is going to be very is going to be very interesting <laughs> because it's Kevin Durant versus Russell Westbrook <laughs> in the first time they face each other in the playoffs ever which is crazy nuts and it, i think i think what hurts the clippers i've said this earlier in the show but what hurts them is the absence of Paul George and he was playing really well, and they were starting to figure it out with Russell Westbrook, which is why they why one of the reasons why is because they haven't played him in the fourth quarter, but they've been figuring it out. And then Paul George unfortunately gets hurt against on that freak play against Lou Dort. Now he's off crutches. Um, now if they were playing Sacramento, I think they'd win that series. But this is different. You're going up against the most lethal score in basketball in Kevin Durant. Um, and you're still have Devin Booker to deal with Deandre Ayton. 
like, and you still have solid depth too. You have Tory Craig, Campaign, Josh Okogi, who's been really good for them. Like, they have significant depth now on all, like, what they have. And the Clippers, they've managed to ride the ship and to avoid the play-in tournament without Paul George. And Russell Westbrook is has shooters around him to be Russ and not rely on him to shoot as many big threes. And Ty Lue, I think, has found the formula of when to pull Russ out of the game and when – And when um, when and they've utilized him in the great spots possible, Kawhi Leonard's been playing really good ball. I mean, he played twenty the full second half against my Lakers. Like they are, they are a a good team. They were a contender with Paul George. Without Paul George, it hurts. And unfortunately for them, they're going to have to deal with in my opinion, the favorite to come out of the West, the Phoenix Suns. If Paul George was playing, I think it's a coin flip, but without him, I think I could see the Suns winning the series in six games. I haven't made my official pick yet, five or six, same thing like I have with the Warriors-King series, but I look at it, they have so many different matchups to exploit. They're just well, they have four dominant Monsters, Aiton, Chris Paul, D-Book, and Kevin Durant. The Clippers have nice role players. Bones Highland, who's played very well for him. Norman Powell, who, if he had played enough games, he'd probably be the sixth man of the year. Even though he wasn't that great on defense this year, he's still a bucket easily. Eric Gordon, who could space the floor and shoot the threes very well. And Mason Plumlee can, is a another active man who could body down low and get rebounds and big Zubac, which he was still a Laker can is a good rim protector is a solid big man. and can dominate the, and can score in the paint has a nice post-up game. I mean, they're, they, they're, they're a handful when healthy. I just think that the Suns are just a little deeper with the big four and some other key pieces as well. I have the Suns winning that series. Uh, I haven't made my official Suns and six, Suns and five pick yet, but um, but uh, I think that uh, that series is still going to be fun to watch the KD Ross dynamic. Now, in the play-in, I think Denver, whoever is the A seed, it comes out and is the A seed. I think Denver is just too much of a handful for any team. I don't think the Nuggets are going to make a run to win the West, but I do think they can get out of the first round because if you're like the eighth seed, you're going to have to like go to out. If you're like a young team, say like the Thunder or the Pelicans, you're asking them to travel in high altitude to Denver against a well-rested Jokic and Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon and you're asking for a guy against a guy who's been MVP the last two years, who's still walking triple double threat, and he has shooters, and he has Michael Porter Jr., Catavius Caldwell Pope, who's played at a really high level for them, and you still have Jamal Murray. And I look at the rest of their roster across the board; it's very deep. 
Jeff Green, he's been around this league forever. He's still playing very well. Thomas Bryan as their backup big man. And they picked up Reggie Jackson at the buyout market. This is a very good team for any against any young, experienced team because Denver's had experience. They made it to the Western Conference Finals. So whoever comes out of eight, I, I don't see a way they can beat Denver in the high altitude and a well-rested, experienced Denver team. Uh, but if I look at these seven, eight, nine, ten matchups, whoever gets to seven, it really depends on the matchup because Memphis can be had with no Brandon Clark and no Steven Adams, which really hurts their chances of making a deep playoff run. But I look at these, at the seven, eight matchup between, between my Lakers and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, the Lakers are six and a half point favorites against the Wolves. And maybe it's due to the gold go bear thing. Maybe it's due to the fact that Jaden McDaniels is hurt and is not going to play, and Nas Reed's not going to hurt two very important players for them. And the Lakers got, I think we got fortunate in this round to face a a fucked-up mentally Minnesota Timberwolves team. Because I got to tell you what happened today with the Minnesota Timberwolves was absolutely fucking horrific. Like, why would you... Why I tempers flare, right? And the same thing that happened in the Clipper Suns game, like with Mile with Mason Plumley and Bone Thailand. Like, why would you teammates have to make a scene out of things and just start having a physical altercation with another person? Like, why? Like that was so stupid. Like, and you're asking these teams, and well, at least the Clippers have a week off to talk through that. The Minnesota Timberwolves have to play Tuesday night at Staples Center or Crypto.com Arena, and you're expecting them to resolve this immediately? I mean, Mike Conley text said that they were in the group chat, wrote Grudy Gobert immediately apologized, but it's going to take more of an apology to make up for that. That's so stupid what Gobert did. And forget that stupid trade they made for Rudy Gobert. They gave up, what was it? Uh, Malik Beasley and Vanderbilt and like all these pieces like and multiple first round picks just to get Rudy Gobert, which I thought was just not a great trade at all. That much, that much capital for Gobert who clogs the lane with Carol Anthony Towns, lack of spacing. Yeah. He can defend in a team that doesn't have another big man, but you're at, but the spacing is a clusterfuck, and Rudy Gobert is not a, a good offensive player. He just dunks. He's in the lane, and he could just, and he's not doesn't really have a polished offensive game whatsoever. And and unfortunately, their best defender may be suspended because of that whole thing he did, where he punched Kyle Anderson. And this is what was said, like after the whole. This is what was said after the whole they they caught this on tape. Um they caught this like of the quotes of what was said between Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson. Rudy Gobert escalated verbal arg- verbal argument to a physical encounter after Kyle Anderson told him to shut the fuck up, bitch. 
The disagreement started with Anderson telling Gobert to block some shots and Gobert telling him to grab a rebound and ended with a punch and Gobert getting sent home during the game, according to Woj. And Gobert later sent an apologetic text to teammates in a group chat per Mike Conley, quote, we'll speak about it and move on. We're grown men. Okay. At least the Golden State Warriors had a full season to deal with that. Minnesota Timberwolves have to, you're asking forgiveness and to get ready for that. And to top it all off, the cherry on top of this whole pathetic Sunday. <laughs> see what I did there? Sunday, meaning the ice cream and today, Sunday. The, the, the time I'm recording this episode, Sunday. The thing that's really that the cherry on top of all this is Jaden McDaniels. Now, he's a very talented player. I liked him a lot this year. I think he's done some very good things. I thought he was really good uh, this past season. He's been very one of their young bright spots, I'd say. One of their young unsung unsung heroes, along with Nas Reed, which also is a big loss for them, who's been their energizer bunny, who is like their glue guy, gets rebounds, dies for loose balls, and attacks the rim at will, can shoot the three. Like, Nas Reed has been their unsung hero and losing him hurts, but losing Jaden McDaniels early in the game was just flat out stupid. Jaden McDaniels this past season averaged 12.2 a game shot nearly 40% from three 51 per nearly 52% from the field. Like Jaden McDaniels was very good for them. And if you had him. Then I'd fear the the Minnesota Timberwolves more. I'm not I, I'm not saying this matchup against the Wolves would be easy for the Lakers, but Jaden McDaniels punched his, threw a punch at the wall in the locker room. Like, what the fuck are you doing? That's so stupid. Why? And he's talented. He's young. Players make mistakes. We all make mistakes when we're young. But to do that in the middle of a game, which they need you to win. Like, that was pretty fucking stupid. And they needed you in that game against the Lakers, and he's not going to be available, which hurts them in a lot of ways. And Gobert, even if Gobert was going to play, I don't even know if that team's mentally right. And there is, during LeBron's finals run with the Cavs, when they beat the Warriors, he said in the locker room after when the Warriors started to crumble that series away, and when the Warriors lost game six, LeBron said to the team, they're fucked up mentally. I think LeBron and the Lakers are feeling the same way about the Minnesota Timberwolves right now. They think they are fucked up mentally. And you know what? They, I wouldn't be surprised if he was telling that to his, if he told that to his team after the game against Utah. The, when he said to the team, the Wolves are fucked up mentally. Now, the Lakers have the champ, the experience with LeBron Anthony Davis. D'Angelo Russell and Jared Vanderbilt and Leek Beasley want to get revenge against their former team, and they're out for blood. And Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, I have a lot of respect for, and they were the playing champions of last year. And Mike Conley is a well-established veteran point guard. I have a lot of respect for him as well. Kyle Anderson I like a lot. But when you miss two key pieces already with Nas Reed and Jaden McDaniels, 
One of them was a freak injury. The other one was just another guy just being flat out stupid. And Gobert, who may be suspended, I don't know for sure. I think the line is six and a half. Maybe I'm overthinking the line, maybe because the Lakers are the home team, I think. Or they're just saying that Rudy Gobert is probably not going to play because of the suspension. I don't know. I'm just speculating at this point. I don't have any inside tracks to this whole scenario. But the Lakers have the experience, and they have Jared Vanderbilt, who's a good, def- who's a solid on-ball defender, and they're getting Dennis Schroeder back, and Rui Hachimura has been playing, played well against Utah, Troy Brown Jr., and they and Austin Reeves, who's been godsend. I'm going to talk a little bit more about them, like. If they advance against Minnesota, I think we can make a run at this thing. I think the Lakers are just better. If Gobert, if Nas Reed and Jay McDaniels are playing, I would fear them more. But I think the Lakers got this one. And I'm going to say they win and they play Memphis in the first round. Now, the eighth, now the nine, 10th seed. Now, this is like assuming like the Lakers get the seventh seed, then the loser of the seven, eight seed, which will be Minnesota would have to play the winner of the nine, 10, which is the Pelicans and the thunder, which really is kind of, it is, it is, I've been back and forth on this one. Pelicans are five point favorites. I would expect it maybe three and a half, maybe three. Uh, I, I personally like, I personally I personally wouldn't mind seeing either team make it out. Like I think it's both good for the league. Um, the Thunder have been great this year. Uh, great story. No one expected them to be a playing team, but Mark Dagonal got these guys playing very well. Shea Gildas Alexander is a borderline superstar, and he's probably going to make All NBA first team because of the amount of games he's played. And due to the fact that he's been phenomenal, I mean, he's Jay Gildas Alexander's had a breakout year. Um, if I look, if you look at what he did this past season um, for the Thunder, this was a breakout year in the making. And I don't, I if you want to debate on who won that trade between the Thunder and the Clippers. I mean, I get why the Clippers had to do it in the first place to get another superstar caliber player to pair up with Kawhi Leonard. Paul George was very good for them, went healthy, even though he's missed a lot of games. But Shea Gildas-Alexander is a superstar in the making. I mean, he he was named to his first ever All-Star game as reserve, and he became the first player in Thunder history to score 40-plus points on 80% shooting in a game in a win over Portland. If you look at the year he's had, these are like video game type numbers. He's averaging 31.4 points per game, 51% from the field, only a 34.5% from three, but 90.5% from the free throw line, 90% foul shooter. That was incredible what he was able to do with this Thunder team. And the Pelicans, they have Brandon Ingram, who's been playing some lights-out basketball for them, and they've started to get on a roll. And if they had won against Minnesota, I would fear them for the Lakers in that, ser- in that matchup against New Orleans. But 
Luckily, we got a break and we're playing the the fucked up Minnesota Timberwolves. But the Pelicans have been very good. They they've won. They've went on a huge roll lately to avoid getting out of the play in contention. I mean, if you look at what the Pelicans have done, it, what they've done, they've won one, two, three, four, five. They've won eleven out of their last thirteen games. They they've been playing great all the last they've been playing great of late. But Brandon Ingram has been playing just as well as anyone in the league has. Troy Murphy, Valachunas, CJ McCollum. Like and they were doing this without Jose Alvarado. They're they're a dangerous team. And I don't know why they they didn't win that game against Minnesota, but I think they could be a solid team to get the eighth seed. And I give them a good chance against Minnesota, assuming that the Lakers take care of their business in that game. So I'm going to say New Orleans will handle Oklahoma City in that game. I haven't made my my official picks yet, but I'm leaning towards New Orleans because of they're a much bigger team than the Thunder are. And I think they just have – the difference is the Pelican – Brandon Ingram has another score alongside uh, uh, the Brandon Ingram has another score around him. And that's CJ McCollum, the thunder just have, it's really share bust. And that's the factor I'm considering. And that they're just a bigger team with Valanciunas. Uh, so I'm going to lean towards the Pelicans in this one. Now the East, the Eastern conference matchups. I mean, <sighs> Whoever's gonna play Milwaukee is a death sentence. They're gonna lose and they're gonna get swept, or at least gentlemen swept. The the three six matchup. I I don't know why we're gonna waste so much time talking about this now. If it was Sixers Heat, that series, that series alone, I think would be really really good. But unfortunately, we're think of the storylines in that series. Jimmy Butler against his former team again, um, who said, you chose Tobias Harris over me, like that sort of thing. But he's not the sixth seed. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets are the sixth seed. And Mikhail Bridges is the Iron Man. He played 83 games this entire year, which were that trade from the Suns to the Nets. And he, Mikhail Bridges on the Brooklyn Nets, if he, I could just pull up his stats, what he did, like, he was a little heartbroken to be traded from Phoenix saying I would have been, I would have made that trade himself, but what he did with Brooklyn out of the 27 games he played, he averaged 26 a game, 38, nearly 38% from three, nearly 90% from the foul line. And he's played and he's played every single game. That's incredible. That's impossibly great what Mikhail Bridges did by playing every game. Like, it's like the perfect attendance record in class. You show up every single day at school and you do the work and he's the perfect student. And I'm going to talk about the CBA in a second, uh, which I think is a little bullshit, but I mean, I give them credit. He did. He's been a great story. But the Brooklyn Nets with the trade are very young. And I don't see how they beat a well, a 
a very well put together Sixer team who I think is built for the playoffs. And they have the MVP with Joel Embiid, PJ Tucker, who's been a, who makes an impact wherever he goes. And Tyrese Maxey's like a star in the making. Big fan of his. Tobias Harris and and George Niang. Like they they're a roster that's built. And I could see them making a run at the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm leaning towards the Sixers to win that series in around five games. Now, this series, Stephen A. Smith said it would be an object failure if the New York Knicks lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, unfortunately, that's what's going to happen. Now, I think both these teams are the teams that are one year away from from contending to win a championship. The Cleveland Cavaliers have been a great story. Donovan Mitchell has been scoring at an exceptionally high level this year. I mean, he had a 71-point game, which is just absurd. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is a top-10 scorer in the league. He's averaging – let me pull it up. He's averaging 28 a game, shooting – nearly for the 40% from three, nearly 50% from the field. It's amazing what Donovan Mitchell's done. Darius Garland has played at a really high clip for them. Uh, Darius Garland's played very well. And Jared Allen is still one of the best rib protectors in the league. And Evan Mobley, I like a lot. He's played very well for them. And you had, and then, and then, and then I like Rudy, Ru, Ricky Rubio. Like they have a squad that's gonna be good in a year or two. I think they're still one year away from getting one more defensive stopper. But I really like what the Cavs are this year and the Knicks as well. Jalen Brunson has been boy. We're gonna talk about his team, the Dallas Mavericks, in a second. But Jalen Brunson proved that he was worth that contract. Jalen Brunson should have been an all-star this year. He was truly the difference maker for the Knicks. As great as Julius Randle's been, this team would have not been in this position without Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson on the year, he's averaging 24 a game, shooting nearly 50% from the field, forty, nearly 42 from three. He's the difference maker. And one of the things that made him so great with Luka Doncic is that he could play off ball. Luka could be the on-ball facilitator. Brunson, he doesn't need the ball. His hands to be effective. He can spot up and shoot from three. He's that kind of guy. And Manuel quickly has been playing really well. Barrett's been playing solid. Obi Toppin. Like, they have a good team, but I just think that it's the, the cat. It's a difference when you're starting off at home as opposed to on the road. And I think I can see that series going seven games. I'm I, it's a coin flip, but I'm probably going to lean towards Cleveland in that respect. And now I'm, these are just like, these weren't my official picks yet. I'm going to dive into them. Once we get into later of the week, once the official playoffs are crystallized, when, once we know who's winning, what matchup, um, but I want to talk about a team because I feel like 
I'm supposed to talk about this team, the Dallas Mavericks, who supposedly tanked against the Chicago Bulls. Luka Doncic played one quarter and didn't play the rest of the way. Now, who's to blame for this whole fuck, clusterfuck? Um, Well, there's a lot. You could blame the fact that they've not been a good defensive team. You can blame it partially on the Kyrie Irving trade. It's not that Kyrie was playing bad. He was still playing at a Kyrie Irving type of level, nearly 50-40-90. He's played better without Luka Doncic, and they've had a winning record when it was just Kyrie and not Luka Doncic. And what's crazy to me is I don't even know why they the, – the thing that messed him up was – was Mark Cuban said it was more so the parents of why they didn't get, why they didn't re-sign Jalen Brunson because they wanted more than what he was worth. And I think Mark Cuban was, didn't want to pay him that, uh, that contract he was seeking mainly due to the fact that he thought he was playing great because he was in a contract year and they didn't think he would, and they thought it was an aberration and they didn't think he'd play at that exceptional level again. But why would you assume that when you've seen him in the gym, in the offseason, in the training camp, putting the work in and playing at a very high level from when he was drafted to summer league to preseason to being a big factor of the playoffs and to helping lead Luka Doncic to the Western Conference Finals? I don't get that. I don't get why you would, wouldn't want to re-sign Jalen Brunson. I thought that was a big mistake on their part, A. And B was, despite that, they were still the fourth seed in the, a very tough Western Conference that's really up for grabs. That may trade it for Kyrie Irving because he wanted out and they wanted to someone to take pressure off Luka Doncic because Kyrie Irving was the leading fourth quarter scorer. We get all that, but you give up Dan Dorian Finney Smith in that trade, their best defender. And you give up a lot, some key pieces in that deal. And they have not been the same sense when it, it, they're literally just, when you have two pieces that don't play defense to an already not that great defensive team, it really is a recipe for disaster. And you can blame it on that aspect as well. And you can blame it on Luca saying, Oh, I didn't, I, I wanted to trade for Kyrie, but then you heard he really wanted Brunson and he's complaining about the whole scenario. And there's a report of it that he could request a trade out of Dallas in 2024. There's a lot of pieces to go around. I could assume that Jason Kidd, I don't know if he's going to be back. But unfortunately, someone's going to have to be blamed for this, and that is going to be Jason Kidd, unfortunately. So there's a lot to be going around. There's a lot to be blamed for. But the fact is, when you want to play, you're still trying to compete to get into the to the back end of the play-in tournament, and you just had a nice win over Sacramento the game before, and you choose to bench your starters – because of a high draft pick and Mark Cuban going out saying it was my fault. I fucked everything up. Like that's on you. The organization is a mess right now. Why would you do that? They've been the most disappointing team 
in the league this year. They need they just made the Western Conference Finals the year prior. And they were the four seed in the Western Conference. And you trade you trade for Kyrie Irving, a guy who plays no defense. You didn't need him. You're playing well without him. I didn't get that move at all. I thought that was a major screw up on their part. And unfortunately, they're learning from their mistakes. And it is a massive miss on that end, for sure. So that's just my two cents on that end. Now, coming up, like, I'm going to take a quick second, uh, a, a quick break here. And then we're going to talk about uh, Angel Reese and the whole White House scenario. Very, uh, very much of a delay on that end on my part. I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to talk about the Odell Beckham trade, uh, Odell Beckham signing to the Baltimore Ravens. And I'm going to give my review of the movie Air, which just which I just saw just now. So take a quick break and uh, please hear a uh, recording from one of my sponsors. In the meantime. Hey, Jordan, you want to hear a fun fact? Uh, sure. Caffeine involved in a coffee bean with some of the greatest antioxidants on the planet. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Let, let, let me cut you off right there. I wasn't done. You see, green tea, another great source of caffeine, evolved with an entirely different set of antioxidants as well. Is this another brain fuel ad? Uh, yeah, it is. Oh, I mean, well, in that case, brain fuel takes the best of both worlds without the roast or heat that may reduce potency and increase toxicity. It support, it's supportive blends of fuels, antioxidants, and brain-boosting additives create a new paradigm for the effective delivery of caffeine. Not to mention, it is the best-tasting drink I've personally had in a while. To support the heroes who push society forward, challenge the status quo, and initiate a better tomorrow, by providing them with the fuel to actualize their best self. If you want to help support our podcast and try Brain Fuel, use code DOME for 20% off your order at brainfuel.com. That's code DOME, all caps, D-O-M-E, at brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N-F-U-E-L.com for 20% off your order. Welcome back to an, to uh, the rest of this Off the Dome podcast. Uh, so I want to talk about, this has been a little overdue, and I'm meaning to get to this topic about the Angel Reese uh, thing involving the White House, but I just want to say this. If Caitlin Clark is going to be, can talk all what she wants, talk trash on the basketball court, why can't Angel Reese do the same? Right, And she's calling out the critics, and I had absolutely zero problem with her taunting Caitlin Clark zero whatsoever I thought that if you're going to get scrutinized you're going to get criticized that people doubted you I keep that same energy right I, I don't really see a problem in that end now I didn't like the fact that she had to put her team in a very uncomfortable spot by not going to the White House saying I'd rather go to the Obama's that's kind of disrespectful to the White House at front. Um, but she was able to be a team player on that end. And I really appreciate it on that front. And I will say this. 
uh, with the whole Angel Reese scenario. I mean, she said, you said what you said. I mean, that was just a little rude. Um, but I get it to be upset when Joe Biden said that both teams should be invited uh, because of sportsmanship, because of the taunting. But like, I mean, it's not like a participation trophy and I get it. That's not the right time to be saying that, but you just shouldn't, but, and you shouldn't be saying that publicly. There's one thing to do it privately, but to do it publicly, to put your team in a very uncomfortable spot, that was a little immature on that end. And I mean, you can't go back on certain things. I get that. And I really think that there's times where you should say something in public and when you shouldn't say something in public, that whole scenario, she should not have said that in public, right? I get what she's trying to say about the whole sportsmanship thing, but that's part of sports. You trash talk. That's what makes it competitive and fun. I didn't like I didn't like how she put her team in a very uncomfortable spot. I didn't like how she called out uh, the highest order of the Bidens on that end. But I get what she was trying to do. She was expressing how she felt, and I and I like the fact that she oh she said I'm a team player. But you did say what you said, you know. So if you make a mistake, it, just own up to it. You don't have to like say. You can't go back on that. So, but I did like the fact that she said she'd be a team player and go support them. But I didn't like how she called how she had to do that in in private in public as opposed to just saying what she felt in private. But I get it; she's entitled to her own opinion. But there's a time and place when to express those opinions. So that's me on the whole Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark incident um now i want to talk about the odell beckham jr signing of the baltimore ravens so odell beckham jr just signed a deal with the baltimore ravens and his deal i'm just pulling it up right here is a one-year 15 million dollar deal which is what his asking price was now Here's my thing about the whole Odell Beckham to the Ravens signing. Um, I I get why he signed with Baltimore, which was because of the whole money situation involved. And he still thinks he's in that $15 million range, and that's fine. He already won a Super Bowl. He got hurt in that Super Bowl game, but he still was a part of that championship winning team with, with the Rams. And now he's seeking his money from the Ravens, and he got it. He went to the highest bidder. thing I don't get, though, is who's going to be throwing him the ball? With the whole Lamar Jackson situation, we don't know if he's going to be on the roster this coming season. He could be somewhere else, and I think this is sort of like the Ravens saying, okay, this is what we're going to offer you. You have no other options. We got Odell. But I think things are just very torn right now between Lamar and the front office with the whole negotiations falling out and Lamar saying how he feels to the public. I think it's very irreconcilable right now for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Uh, and 
I don't understand this move at all. It made no sense. I mean, I get why Odell did it. If they offer me the most money, if a job offered me the most money, I'd take that job easily because of the money situation. But I don't get it for the Ravens' sense. If you don't know who's going to be the quarterback, Lamar Jackson scenario with Odell, he's not the same Odell Beckham. He's had two knee surgeries, and he missed a full season last year. And like Jerry Jones didn't want to sign him because he failed a physical. Jerry, I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. is not healthy. He's not what he was. He's a good third receiver, but he's lacks explosiveness what he was once was and these knee injuries don't go away and tom brady said it best after he tore his acl it's a lifelong knee injury now granted his quarterback position was his position in the nfl was very stationary so it didn't require a lot of whole running and a lot of movement he never was a big runner at the quarterback position odell beckham jr his whole game is based off of explosiveness and when you take that away, I don't know what value he's going to give. This really makes no sense for the for the Ravens from an offensive perspective. It makes sense for Odell, Odell Beckham getting paid that fifteen million, but I mean, I don't I don't have a problem with it whatsoever. I mean, I mean, with him like wanting to go to the highest bidder, but I don't think it just makes any sense. I don't see this working out at all. Because I don't know if Odell has a lot left in the tank, and I don't know if Lamar really wants to be there, and I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. So it really is no sense for either team on that end. Now, I want to finish this episode off by talking about the movie Air, which I just saw, and I usually don't do movie reviews on my sports podcast, but I'm going to make an exception for this one because – uh, this is a sports movie, obviously, a sports marketing movie, Air, and it was directed by Ben Affleck, and it stars himself, Matt Damon, great cast. Matt Damon was in it, Jason Bateman was in it, Chris Messina was in it, uh, and Jason Bateman, Viola Davis, who plays Dolores Jordan, who Michael Jordan requested to play his mom, gave a great performance. And this movie is really about the birth of the Air Jordan. And it showed that Nike was at the lowest point back in 1984. They were in the lowest competition between Converse and Adidas. And they were struggling to sign players in their basketball division. And they were able to do so when Sonny Vaccaro, Matt Damon's character, saw something different in Michael Jordan. After this is kind of being going to be, by the way, spoiler filled, because I don't really, I don't really say it's spoiler because it's it's based off of a true story and people know, some people know the story, but I'm just going to give spoilers away. But pretty much what made he thought separated Jordan from everybody else was they kept replaying the shot, the 1982 shot which was North Carolina versus Georgetown, where Michael Jordan hit the game-winning shot, 1982 National Championship game. And they replayed it. He replayed it multiple times. And he saw that he was just different. He was calm, collected, and that he was the number one option. And he was unfazed by the moment. And people were seeing it as, oh, design play. But no, 
Sonny Vaccaro saw it different of a guy who's just different than everybody else, who's not afraid of the big moment, who's fearless. And that's something that goes along with what he thought Nike should be. And I, one of the things I love about Air was the fact that when they were at their lowest point, when they, when they, when they were advised, sorry, Vaccaro, to not do this, not take a risk and go to see Dolores Jordan. He did it anyways. And it led to some anger between him and Chris Messina, played by who's David Falk. Um, and by the way, getting back to the whole spoiler thing, this is not going to be a lot of spoilers, just minor spoilers. Sorry, I should clarify that. But he took a risk. And one of the things I loved about this movie is the theme of differentiating yourself from the whole competition. What makes you stand out amongst others being different, right? That's really what I took away from this movie. And what I loved about that was but when that conversation, one of my favorite scenes from this movie was the conversation between Matt Damon and Viola Davis, where Viola, where Matt Damon said, listen, you're going to see these things in a meeting and with Converse, right? They're going to say, oh, you, you're just another, you're, we're thrilled to have you to our basketball division. You're a great player, yada, yada, yada. Same thing with Adidas and Converse. And, and Sonny Vaccaro said, if you if you experience any of these things, I want you to consider speaking with us. And what happened was they that whole monologue with Matt Damon pitching to the Jordan family about what makes him different, which was not like the shoe itself, but him in the in the shoe, it made him Michael Jordan the shoe. It made him the brand and the face of Nike. If he went to Adidas or Converse, he'd just be another guy. They, they put their $250,000 on the line for Michael Jordan, and they would give him incentives and gross profit as well. The first player to do that. And Phil Knight, who was hesitant at first, played by Ben Affleck, whose character is mainly about Zen and being peaceful in a very comedic way, was eventually agreed to do so. And what I loved about this, that monologue, where Damon talked to the Jordan family about, to Michael in particular, when he said, listen, you're going you're gonna to experience some failure in life, but you are the most sensational basketball player he's ever seen. It's an all-American story about a guy who comes out of nowhere, kind of like how Nike did, and revitalized the whole industry. It was not about the shoe itself. It was about the man who was the face of the shoe, the Air Jordan sneaker. And <laughs> it was illegal at the time to have any other colors other than white. So Sonny Vaccaro said to not, that Nike would pay for all the fines of Michael Jordan's games in which he wasn't wearing that. Um, and I loved the cast in this movie. I thought Damon was great as a salesman for Nike as Sonny Vaccaro. I thought Ben Affleck was great as Phil Knight. 
Jason Bateman and his backstory about how this job is everything to him because he only sees his daughter like once a week. That's a whole great aspect of the story. And, and I loved the persistence Viola Davis had and Jordan made a good call him wanting to have Viola Davis as his mom. She was very persistent, but very protective of his, of her son's brand. And she said that she really made an exclamation of what makes her son different from everybody else. And Damon saw, and Nike saw that and you saw what he was able to do. And we can go into the go debate all we want, but it's hard to deny the impact Michael Jordan has had on the whole sneaker game and in pop culture with the Air Jordan brand with the sneaker for sure. And I thought that the cast was great. I thought the story was very riveting and you got to see the behind the scenes negotiation tactics of a company and the sales pitch. And it's a good movie if you're in sales or marketing side of things in the sports industry of how it works and how negotiations work and how to be persistent. And that's something I really took away from this movie is being differentiating from yourselves, how to market yourself and what makes you different from everybody else. Like anybody could say they're a great company. Anybody could say that you'd be great for this company, but why you're great for this company? What's the why in it? What's the it factor that helps differentiate yourself? And that's what I really loved and what I took away from this movie. This is sort of like Jerry Maguire in a sense. I know people are going to compare this movie to Jerry Maguire. Um, obviously, this that movie dealt with the whole sports agency side of things. This movie deals with sports marketing. And, in, and as far as, as the brand side of things, it's brand management. But they're both similar as far as like tactics about how to get what you want in a very competitive industry. And that's something I really loved and appreciated. They These movies, Jerry Maguire and Air, are both about how the meat is made and the behind-the-scenes aspect of negotiations. I think this, we can debate on which movie's better. I personally, I need to see Air a few more times before I compare the two together. I think this movie... As a pure movie, Jerry Maguire is more of like an entertaining, like quotable lines. It's Jerry Maguire. But as far as if you're a sports person that's wants a most realistic thing about the industry and negotiation aspect, then I like Air. I think this is a well-made movie. I thought the dialogue was very intriguing. The, the, I thought the story was very fast-paced. I thought the acting was great. This is my favorite movie so far of 2023. I really do. This was a great movie. And I highly recommend all of you going to see this movie. And that's coming from a big LeBron guy. All right. That concludes uh, my episode for this one. Um, for this episode, thank you all for listening to another edition of the Off the Dome podcast. Have a great day and a great night. Go get them.